This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to another episode of Just a Tip, an advice podcast that's equally about its tangents as it is about its tips. I'm your host, Megan Mattoon, and today we have a return guest. I should do a little jingle here when we have a return guest, like I'll do a it right stinger. Now. Well, I'm not musical. Yeah, I think you are, and you just say that you're not. Mm, somebody told me I was tone deaf about five years ago. But here's the thing. Here's what I know about you is when you put your mind to something, you well, you become obsessive, That's and you right. make it work. Full and immersion. I think you've taught, you told yourself that you're not musical, but I think if something switched in your brain, you're like, you know what? I can sing. I can write music. I have rhythm. I can play an <gasps> instrument. Like within a week, you'd be on a, you know, you'd win a Grammy. I don't think I could do the instrument or the maybe the. What do you I mean you don't like think could, you could do an instrument? I don't. I don't think I. I got, That's ridiculous. I don't got that. Yes, but that I, is insane. I have musicality and I do have pretty juicy journals, so I think I could probably. You could lyricize easily. Yeah. I mean, I think you already have that, so that's set. But what do you mean you don't have instrument? I think I tried to play Sunday Candy on the piano and I just like could not remember. So you tried to play a song once and it didn't work. You worked a, a few times. I tried and none of them worked. It's hard. It, it takes I mean, some time. That you can say that because you play music. Yeah, but it took time. I had to. It took years, years and years and years to figure out. Well, you think I got years and years and years to figure this out? Uh, no. Why? You think you're dying tomorrow? What's going on? <laughs> could be. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? If I have my Brian McElhaney. Hi. <laughs> I want to kill Megan. Hi. Last time you were on the pod, we talked about modern day schooling and travel, but this time. We're going to dive into magic and wonder. And fun fact, everyone listening, I never give the guests an option to add a category for the themed podcasts. But Brian said magic, and I was like, let's go there. Yeah, it's funny because I got a, a list of uh, topics to discuss. And, you, I mean, this is sort of an internal conversation we have, but I'm always like, I don't know anything. I shouldn't tell anyone any advice about anything ever. I can't talk about these things. Like, I guess it's a self-esteem thing. I mean, I have a one-man show where I literally talk about how you shouldn't listen to my one-man show because I know nothing. And so I saw those things, and I was like, yeah, I could talk about these, but I feel so bad, like, dispelling advice, and I don't, I don't know if I believe in what I say. But magic is something that I'm not a professional magician, but I just like it so much. Yeah. And I have a lot of, like, philosophies and theories about it, and so— uh, I felt like it would be a nice thing. But it can dovetail into any other topic, too, if it gets kind of boring. <laughs> I love that, like, backdoor option. Look at that. I'm just... It will go everywhere. But before we go anywhere, 
We do, the last time you were here, I don't think we did this game. Okay. We do a game in the beginning to get to know our guests called Bursts of Firsts, where they tell us their first job, their first scar, everything like that. Okay. But now that you're a return guest, we flip the game on its head, and it's called Flash of Lasts. So it's still rapid fire, but instead of your first job and the first scar, it'll be your last job and your last scar. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. What was your last job? Uh, my very last job I had, I mean, I'm kind of doing some of them right now. No, before, not a current thing. Uh, writer for Saturday Night Live. Last cell phone. Uh, the one, Not the one I currently have? No. The last one was an iPhone. Okay. I currently have a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> this is backwards. Last pet peeve you think you'd have? I'm sorry, the last one I think I'd have, like I don't have it? Yeah. But like the last one's like, I will never have this pet peeve. This is the last one I'd yes, have. Yes, exactly. I will never have the pet peeve of um, somebody being overly uh, kind. That's, you think that, that's not a pet peeve though. Oh, it is for oh, some yeah? people. Okay, I believe you. Last kiss location. My bed. <laughs> oh, I was like, <laughs> for some reason I thought you were just kissing yourself. <laughs> you know you can bring other people into your bed. <laughs> I know, but we were just talking about lucid dreaming, and it's very one-person thing. So I was like, "How are you doing this?" What last major what? purchase? So we're going on with you. Um, my last major purchase: uh, tickets to Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Ooh, last choice in a karaoke book. Uh, uh, I think I'm a clone now by Weird Al. It makes everyone so mad. Last internet screen name. Internet screen name. Uh, BJ McElhaney? That's the one you have now. Oh, okay. I had, yeah, when I did, it was on AIM as a kid. It was Yampoo888. Cool. 888 is an angel number. You know about angel numbers? No. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In like 12 seconds or less, please. Okay, um, angel numbers are little divine interventions from your angels or the spirits above. And if you see a specific number in triples, whatever you're thinking about, that's relating oh, yeah, to it. Oh, yeah, it's like confirmation bias, but like you're into that stuff. Uh, my birthday's 8886. Okay. I'm almost 4'8". Totally. All right, well. Moving on. <laughs> last thing you think when someone doesn't answer the phone. The last thing... So, like, am I talking about the last time this happened? And no, is this hypothetical now, or are we talking about actually my last thing? Actually. Because we're kind of going back and forth between, like, a last actual thing. And you're like, right. So this is the last thing I would think? Yeah. Like. You could choose either. Now that you mentioned that, that is a good point. So, okay, I call someone. Megan doesn't answer the phone. Yeah. The last thing, the first thing I would think is Megan hates me. Well, it's not about the first. The last thing I would think is, um... She's not answering because she's throwing a surprise party for me and it's about to go down and she doesn't, she's going to give it away. I'd never think that's happening when someone doesn't make the phone. Last celebrity crush. Oh man, what's my last celebrity crush? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I find Selma Hayek super, super. I see what you mean now. It does sound like who's the last person that right, you... Right, right. Okay, I approve. Last concert. My last concert. Uh, I know it's supposed to be rapid fire. Oh, uh, I probably at the open mic night at Eddie's Attic in Atlanta, Georgia. It's my favorite place to go see music. Last scar. Literal or figurative? Either. 
I can't remember any literal scars I've gotten recently. Um, uh, I got uh, scarred by uh, a person really close to me, and I shouldn't talk about it on. That is fine. Phone. Last thing you do when you like someone. Okay, again, so this is like the last thing yes, I do. Yes, yeah, exactly. No way I would do this. Yeah, it jumps back and forth, you're right. The last thing I would do if I like someone is um, uh, neg them. I don't do that. That's very good. The last show you binge watched? Uh, Watchmen. The last excuse you make when trying to cancel plans? Again, this is the one I just made or like the last the, one. The one you would never say. I would never say, hey, I can't go to your thing. I am, uh, you know, hang gliding. <laughs> and lastly, the last time you cried in public. Uh, on a stoop in the West Village in New York City uh, at 3 a.m. in 2017. Whoa, it's been a couple years. I cried in public, yeah. I mean, like, I'm talking like wailing. It was it was insane. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really, I couldn't stop it. Wow. And probably nobody was like, this is not normal. Uh, the, the, one of my producers from SNL walked by as it was happening. No! Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. Well, I'm glad you're not crying anymore. Oh, you think, uh, you mean from... Two and a half years ago? You glad I stopped? <laughs> Sometimes I hold on to things for two and a half years. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> okay. A little pointed, <laughs> but that's fine. That is my New Year's resolution is to release things, and I think release my them. body was doing it for me. Here's what happens. When you keep it in, your body's going to find a way to get it out in some way, whether that's like anger at the wrong person or it turns into literal pain in your body. Right. Or you just start like— you start like not focusing on the present moment or the people around you and you just sort of get lost in your own fucking thought. It's just, there's so many ways that if you don't let it out, it passive aggressively comes out to other people and to yourself and to things in your life. Yeah, this past year, I was talking to a friend yesterday. I was like, every time the new year happens, something really bad also happens in my life. But it, mm. I was saying that it was much more of a clearing than it was I guess my life falling apart. It was like, oh, I had an exodus of people last year re be removed from my life really quickly. And then this year I had food poisoning and I, I started dreaming. An all exodus of the insides totally. of Totally. And I started dreaming about these people that left and kind of betrayed in my, the easiest way of saying it is a bit of a betrayal. And so these people were in my dreams again after a year of not talking to them. And it was just like my body's literally processing everything that I'm not, you know, Doing on my own. Did you cut them right out when they betrayed you, or did you, was it a long process of figuring it out and a slow kind of denouement of friendship? I think it would be more abrupt than a, a strung out thing. That sounds kind of a little more your style. And also, yeah, that's what I've noticed is when you do that and you don't go through all of the feelings, whether it's with them or with yourself, that's when it will come roaring back like a volcano Yeah. later on. I absolutely agree. All right, well, you want to talk about magic now? I guess so. <laughs> Before we talk, I usually ask Instagram for a bunch of questions. <laughs> was or, everyone like, what? Magic? Honestly, a lot of people didn't even give me magic questions. <laughs> I was just like, okay, here we go. But I did pick about 10 of them out. But before we go to Instagram, I want to talk about your love for magic and, and what you think about it so people can understand your mind. Yeah, okay, great. I mean, I'll see how the, I, this articulates out of my mouth, but I, I, I'm not a magician. I, 
Not really. Same. Uh, same. You are, though. I guess I am. I have a show where I do a big magic trick I invented right now. Yeah. Um, but in general, I, I, I'm a comedian, I guess, comedic writer, performer, director. But I've always loved magic. I, I loved it when I was a kid. I think a lot of actual comedians find magic first for whatever reason. Steve Martin famously was a magician. I did my first magic show when I was in kindergarten um, for my class. It was a huge hit. Um, <laughs> you did? I did. What did you do? I did four tricks. And uh, they were, uh, I mean, you know, they're little kid tricks. But for a five-year-old, I was like, pretty good. Yeah. And uh, and a classic like store-bought tricks you do at that age. And then um, I just loved it as a kid. And I, I've, I was, I kind of just like left magic a little bit. Like I always like would love to go to Vegas and see Penn and Teller or David Copperfield or those people. But I, I sort of left that world and didn't think about it for, you know, when I became an adult. And I think part of that is, I think what's interesting about magic is it has like a pretty lame connotation to it. Magician is sort of at the bottom of the barrel with like, you know, mimes and jugglers in, uh, in the hierarchy of entertainers. And I get it. I understand why. It's because kind of the, the magic attitude, you know, I, I, you've been around magicians before and sometimes they can be a little smarmy. Magic is sort of this big kind of cheesy display a lot. Uh, a lot of magic is very misogynistic. Uh, and it's it's just a thing where I think a lot of people, a lot of people like magic and a lot of people don't like magic. Yeah, And people who don't like magic, divisive. I kind of get it. Because I'm like, yeah, you go somewhere and someone just kind of tricks you. And if they're kind of like, like the classic magician and the way they present themselves, you can kind of feel like you're just sort of being intellectually belittled. And, you know, and I, I some people, like, I love puzzles and shit. Some people don't like that stuff. So it's like my whole thing of like, yeah, I want to figure this out and understand why it works. Some people are like, just not even prone to even liking that. So if they don't even like that and they feel like someone's just sort of assaulting them with sort of like some sort of thing to baffle them, they're like, why am I doing this? Like, it doesn't really, I don't feel safe seeing a magician. Interesting. My whole world changed when the show in and of itself came out in New York, which is a show this magician named Derek Delgadio. Derek Delgadio. Uh, and it ran for like 16 months in New York City. I saw it 12 times. Um, I took Megan one of those 12 times because I took everyone I knew. And uh, it it sort of reshaped my thought of what magic could be. I think he like changed the game entirely. It's an incredibly moving and emotional show. And it like... I I had conversations with him afterwards. I was just so like infatuated with how his brain worked, and uh, I think one of the things that I sort of started understanding is that like magic is like a tool. It's a tool to do anything you want with it, right? A magic trick is something that I think a lot of magicians just learn the tool and just show it to you. It's like I can do this card trick. Here, look at it. Cool, right? And you're like, yeah, cool, I guess. But but what? So what does that mean? I think for so long, magic was just showing you the tricks, and that was that was everything. But what Derek does in his show is he – it's not even a magic show. He hates being called a magician and calling it a magic show. He does like not that many tricks total in the show, but each trick was is imbued with a story or with meaning or with something that like by the end of the trick, when the trick, quote-unquote trick happens, it's like you people are sobbing, people yeah. are shaking, people's lives are ruined or changed. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, I'm not trying to lead you to. I'm like, I'll tell this story. It's, you saw it 12 times. Would you say when you saw it with me, it was the most memorable? Yes. I would say it's one of the most memorable nights of my entire life. You know, they say adrenaline makes memories. And my adrenaline for three minutes of that show was sky high. It's, okay. I think this is interesting because 
you've told this story to a couple of our friends with that. I, I don't think I would, I was there, but I didn't chime in. Mm-hmm. I told the story for Comedy Central and you weren't there. Right. So I want to see if we can tell the story together. All right, let's tell this story. So that, because I don't think we've ever like heard it in, in both vantage points at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. okay. All right. Should we tell the story? Let's friggin' go. All right, we're here. <laughs> All right, get ready, listener. This is the most embarrassing moment of my life. Actually. Yeah, yeah, you've said that so many times, and I I believe it. Mm. I believe it. (laughs) Okay, in the beginning of the show, before you even get inside of the theater, you're greeted by a wall of almost affirmations, like little business cards that says, like, I am a mother, I am a Yeah, there's over a thousand of them, right? And the top says, I am, and the bottom says, whatever. Yeah, mother, friend, I'm the walrus, I'm a question mark, I'm a feather in the wind, I'm a midnight toker. It goes from the funny to the absurd to the very literal to the figurative. And you just are encouraged to choose whichever one speaks to you. This entire show is kind of about identity and what the show is, who you are, blah, blah, blah. So uh, we're looking at this wall of stuff and uh, I, uh, yeah, okay, so we'll just go step by step. I go to the bathroom. Yes, but before you go, you were like, Pick whichever one speaks to you. Speaks to you, right. And me, I'm, I just, I, there's so many options. Which one is the one that speaks to me? Right. I could probably relate to 20 of them. Sure, sure. Or 200 of them. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to pick that one. You go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom. I'm there to overthink the wall. Yes. I finally, I have like two in my hand. Yeah, yeah. And then I finally pick one because I, I was like, oh, for some reason, like. Well, let's, yeah. I I don't want to even talk about the reasoning why until after. (laughs) So I, I come back from the bathroom and you're holding one against your chest and you're like, I chose one, but I don't want to show it to you. I was like, you don't? Why? And you're like, I just don't want you to see it. I was like, okay. I didn't know. I was like, all right. And then I kind of, so what you'll learn later on, listener, is that these things you chose are kind of, they're revealed in the show, the things, if you want them to be. But I didn't want you to know that, but I also wanted you to know, like, clearly you you had some reticence to, like, telling me what it was. So I was like, all right, just know that, like, it might be something that comes up in the show. So just know that, like, whatever you chose, maybe public... I just didn't know what the fuck it was. And you were like, okay, that's fine. And in my mind, I was like, I'm obviously not going to participate because I hate crowd participation. Right, like, right. if I'm in an improv show and somebody is yelling out a suggestion next to me, like, right. I want to melt into <laughs> that terrible I know what you seat. mean. I, I'm an improviser and I need suggestions, but I'm right. just sort of like, who are you people that throw out suggestions? <laughs> I've never done that in my life. Right, I'm like, if I'm not on stage, I don't want to be a part of this exactly show. Exactly the same thing. People think that I'm like, they're like, Brian, you get up on that table and like dance at this restaurant. You're an extrovert. You're a performer. And I'm like, I'm a performer when I'm on stage and people have paid to see me and like they want to see me. I don't want to demand any attention in a place where people are like, who's that guy? Right. Which is everyone who yells in a the theater. Exactly. Um, and so my whole thing was like, I'm not going to participate. I'm going to do the show. You had seen it 12 times. We should also mention that we were on a date. Right. So, yes, yeah, so we were. I guess it was, yeah, it was a date. Yeah, but I, mean, I think we'd like had a, a weird like fight maybe before. So yeah, okay, there's more history that needs to sort of be revealed. So this was in September of 2017. Uh-huh. We had met in May or June of 2017. Right. We had been sort of dating throughout that summer. Uh-huh. And this was sort of at the tail end of that. This was right before I went back to SNL and you were going to go back to LA and you were in New York with me for a week. Right. So we were... Yeah, it was, I mean, I so, yeah, it was a date, but I guess every night was right. when you're dating. But <laughs> we had also been having a bad day. I don't know if you remember this. We had been walking around New York, and we're, like, really snippy with each other for whatever reason. I don't know why. 
a myriad of reasons. So, okay, that's that is what it is. So, all right, that's uh, okay. That's the backstory. So we go in and you give your eye your card to an usher, right? They rip it in half. They take whatever you chose and put it face down on a stack with everyone else's, and they give you back just the top part that says "I am." So at the beginning of the show, that stack of everyone's identity in the audience is put face down on a table, and you as an audience don't get to see it. So Megan's thing has been ripped and put on a table. I didn't know what it was. So this entire show happens. So many great moments and tricks. So many great so moments. So many. Truly the best magic show I've ever seen It's in my incredible. Life. And uh, it, you'll be able to see it because I, he didn't want to film it, I don't think, but they did. They, I think Colbert like made him film it because he was like, this is so good. I'm kind of speculating. I mean, I may be totally wrong. Anyway, Frank Oz, the director of the show, tweeted that they just finished an edit of like the actual movie of it. So it'll be available to view, I believe, sometime in the future. Wow. Hopefully it, it resonates on screen the way it does on stage. Right. Um, in and of itself is the name of it. Anyway, uh, so it gets to the end of the show. And the kind of the final thing that happens in the show is an incredibly, one of the most moving things I've ever seen in magic, in theater. Derek basically says, there was a wall outside of, uh, you know, identities and not, you were encouraged my to pick one. I know, it's, so I, I'm, my heart is racing too. Just get ready for this, listener. Some of you may have had fun with that wall and uh, pick something like, you know, I'm a space pirate or something or whatever. That's fine. Some of you may have chosen something that represents who you think you are, how you want to be seen in this world. If that's you, please stand up. And then normally over half the audience stands up. And then Derek goes one by one and looks into everybody's eyes and tells you what you are. He just tells you what you chose. I'm going to interject this, right here really okay, quick. Okay, please, please do. Just because he says that. Everyone, Everyone rises. stands up and you don't. I don't. And I remember, like, I didn't want to, like, force you to stand up, but I, it's always such a special moment. <laughs> it's so moving. I really wanted you to stand up. I know. So you looked down at me yeah. literally, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And then it was almost <laughs> like with your eyes that you were like, get the fuck up. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I rise. And then I'm like, <sighs> because I want, I want to feel the magic and wonder that right. you— really like felt every single time the reason why you loved it so much I was like this must be the reason why I need to be a part of this or else I'm not gonna it was like I almost had instant FOMO right so I was like I will stand up right okay so uh yeah because he started going through the people and you stood up kind of after he started and I was like good Megan's gonna do it so he's going in through people and like you see things you know it's like I see when I look at this audience I see a dancer I see a a tree hugger I see an addict you know I see a survivor like some things are like pretty intense and some people he says it and they just start crying immediately and they sit down every time he says it and it's so great because you see a room full of strangers transform into a room full of you know people like you yeah. see these people who have these very specific interesting unique lives and all of a sudden you it's like this mesh of just a group of people turn into these individuals. You see it like in real time happening and it's so cool to see. Yeah. And then also, I think the reason it's so moving for so many people is probably a lot of people choose things. You know, everyone wants to just be seen. That's all you want is someone to be like, hey, you're this, whatever that is, your most important thing. I see it without any judgment. I'm just going to tell you that I see it. And that's what he does. He just says it. And then I, I really imagine that some people are hearing it for the first time exactly. in their life when he says it. Some people have chosen things that are so important to them and they just want to be known as that, whether it's their career or how they view themselves, you know, your healer, your, you know, there's some words that are so strong and people just get so moved by it. It's an incredible experience. Okay. So he's going down our row 
and he's you are before me. So this is literally three minutes before the end of the show, right? So he does this, this whole section ends. Then there's about a, a little monologue and the show's over. You can get up and stand up and move. So he gets to you, right? So it's going to go you and then me. I'm so excited. I love when this happens. He gets to Megan Batoon. But everything stops. Everything stops. Normally he's just like, he's like, and there's a psychologist and a doctor and blah, blah. Turns to Megan, stops stone cold. Full silence. And I'm just sort of like, what's happening? Has he forgotten? Like, what's going on? (laughs) I look at Megan and Megan's just staring at him. And then Derek starts welling up with tears. He's walking slowly to me like yeah. he was on stage. And then Megan starts welling up with tears. And I'm they're just looking at each other and they're crying. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is the most intense moment I've ever seen of this show. And Megan wasn't even going to stand up. And I, and I, you know, I was like, and she was holding that thing earlier and she didn't want to tell me what it was. And all, I was like, something's going to be revealed here that's like really intense. And then Derek says, oh my God, you're expecting. <laughs> And Megan starts full on crying and nods and sits down. (laughs) And then he turns to me and my ears are just like ringing. And he says, you're well, want something. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, I don't, uh," and I just sit down too, like shaking. And I was like, what the fuck? I nodded because he got it right. Wait, 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 wait. We'll 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 get into why after that. So here I am, like, Derek's like going through the rest of the show. And here's like this, like, Pregnant woman next to me that I'm, we're like, pregnant woman? Well, I, who were on like a, having this date at the end of our relationship that's like, pregnant date? Falling apart. My pregnant date over here, but it's like, we've had this like terrible day and like, and okay, so here's what happened. The, there's like three minutes between that and the end of the show. And I want to hear what happens in your head. Cause here's what happens in my head. I go through all of the stages of <laughs> everything. I go from like t- total denial to like, Full on, I mean, what are they? Like, just like sadness. I guess <laughs> to, like, like figuring out how you're going to be yeah, a dad. How, okay, how are we going to like, well, my first thing was like, I was going to introduce Megan to Derek after the show. That's not happening. The show's <laughs> going to end. We're going to go outside and collapse onto a stoop and figure out what we're going to do oh, about that's the this. Stoop. Yeah, some stoop. No, that was yeah, not that stoop. Not the one I, yeah, I go cry in the same stoop every, um, <laughs> And then I was like, but then like I, I had reached acceptance by the end. I was like, all right, you know what? If, in yeah, three I, minutes? I was just like, you know, if it's going to be anyone, at least Megan's, yeah, I think she's, yeah, she's at least like, she's an organized person that, that would make a good mother. Uh, yeah. I mean, even if like, we're not, we're on our way out, I guess like that would be, there's definitely worse people. This could have accidentally <laughs> happened. <laughs> How do you, there's worse people. Don't, that's no, how everyone I, that I date as I was describes like, yeah, there's me. worse people probably. No, I was like, by the end, I was just sort of like, yeah, I'm like an, I mean, at first I was like, what the, f- I can't have a kid. I'm the, I don't even, we're just started dating and blah, blah. And at the end I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> I was truly like gotten there. And uh, the show ends, the lights come up and I don't know, I don't turn to you for a second because I don't know what to say to you. Because I'm just sort of like, what do I do here? Like, why did you choose to tell me in this like insanely over dramatic way? However, would have been awesome if it were the way I told you because you love the show. If you were, if we were like a, married couple of six years and have been trying to have a kid and like it hadn't been working and then that was how you told me it would have been the most magical night of my life yes of course so and then I didn't know what to say and I kind of turned to you and then you turned to me and you go oh I'm not pregnant by the way and I go like what (laughs) the relief on your face and you were like oh wait oh yeah oh oh yeah is that what you thought oh my god is that what you thought that meant I was like what do you mean is that what I thought that meant 
Because my card said, I am expected. Yes, that's right. But I thought it meant, like, I'm expecting too much of myself and my and others because my standards are unrealistically high. So that, but they didn't have enough room on the little business card size paper. Right. So they're like, I am expecting. <laughs> Done. I was like, yes. So when he said that to me, I was like, I feel seen and heard and understood. And right. he's not judging me for being so expecting. I get it now. And here's the thing. it's I kind of love that your brain works in this way. It's a way that no one else would think. <laughs> oh, my but God. in the moment, because I, I I couldn't figure out why you were crying, but now you explain it that way. And I'm like, of course, you're like, you're seen in that way. That is so, it's so important to you and so much who you are. Why didn't you want to show it to me at the beginning? I, I don't know. I think I was embarrassed of being so expectant. Right. I, it's probably the actual word that you would be using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, it was just like an insecurity of mine of being so hard. I'm sure we had a hard time because I was that way. So it was almost like confronting the problem. I didn't want to share it, but I thought if somebody else said it, it wouldn't, it would make it less real. Right, right. But no, still <laughs> it's super made it real. Real on many levels. And, and then, okay, so then you start getting so, like, you're like, you get embarrassed almost immediately because I'm course. just, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm free, and you're like, oh my god, and then people start coming up to you and saying congratulations. Oh my god, everyone's like congratulations, and you were like, thank you, uh, yeah, thank, thank, <laughs> uh, oh my yeah, god, thanks, bye. Uh, <laughs> I was so embarrassed because it was like a lapse in my memory of like, I should know what expecting means, right. but in that moment. When I read the card, it just it was said something different to me, and so it was so embarrassing. By the time I sat down, I nodded because he was right. I sat down the whole time. I didn't think about it being pregnant until everyone was <laughs> coming up to me because people during the during his monologue were like touching me on the shoulder and being like, "Congratulations!" I'm like, "Why are they congratulating me on being really hard on myself?" <laughs> and then that's when it, when the lights came up, I was like, "Oh wait, did you think I was pregnant?" I was like, "Yes, very much so." I've got <laughs> in a tailspin in my head. Oh my God. Here's the great thing about that night is the night became great. Like as bad as a day that was, I, I it was because like, it's almost like you should make a bad thing happen to you and then take it away. Cause then uh, not to say that you getting pregnant would be a bad thing. <laughs> okay. I, I really feel like I'm really, I'm not uh, portraying It wouldn't have my, been great at the time. That's for sure. Yes. At the time, maybe not. Uh, but I remember afterwards I was like, I was like, this is great. Let's go. And we like took city bikes. Remember we city mm-hmm. bikes to Spot a Pig in West Village. Great dinner. It was like a, everything kind of turned around. Yeah. it was. There was no pressure anymore, no tension, because I think it was so embarrassing and so hilarious. Uh, David Sedaris has a master class, and one of the only things that I learned from it, he's I love him as a writer, but oh, his master class, interesting. But uh-huh. the, the one thing that I got from it, he was like, everything is funny eventually. And it's like, that yeah. is so true. Yeah. And yeah, since it was so funny and we were so, there's so much tension, I think it, it only could have been a good night after that. Yeah, so much was released. Right. Moment. Yeah. Uh, so that's the last magic show I went to. <laughs> that's like, when people say magic, like that's what I think you about. You think of that moment? I think of just horrific embarrassment. Yeah, you're, like, you're almost in the opposite of the list. You're like, next magic show, I just want like boring card tricks, please. <laughs> like back to the basics. <laughs> no one try to get into my soul and ruin my... It's so much. I think this is a good time for us to take a break before we take (laughs) some questions from everybody else. Uh, During this break, Brian will give us an extra piece of advice. You can find at Just a Tip Podcast on Instagram, and we'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we're back. We all have color back on our faces. Are you ready to help some people? And maybe not help, but just talk about... I can try, but I, I, I always put this caveat where I'm like, don't get professional advice from someone. Go to a psychologist. I don't know anything. Do not take my words uh, and utilize them in your life. Well, okay, let's talk to some people. <laughs> okay, let's see. This is... Oh, here, this is a good starting point. Um, this question says, why are we still amazed even if we know we're being deceived? That's a big question. Why are we still amazed even if we know we're being deceived? In magic shows, right, you can right. start with magic. Like, because you uh, yeah. know everything that's going on as a, as, as a magician. I think most of the time I do. Um, I think even, it doesn't matter that you know you're being deceived. Like, it's just like if your brain can't compute it, you're going to be amazed. It doesn't matter if you know or not. That someone is deceiving. I think when you know specifically how you're being deceived, you're not amazed. But I think that's mm. kind of part of the amazement. Is like, I know I'm being deceived, but I can't see it. I can't see how it's happening. And that's what it's it's going to amaze you because your brain just can't. I think an amazement is when you your brain can't put all the pieces together. Yeah. I like magic because I'm not really thinking which is funny because I don't really care how a trick is done. Good. I just want them to be keep going. Yeah. Just keep doing best. tricks at me. I, I love that. I take so many people to the Magic Castle and so many people are like, how does this work? They're like trying to figure it out as the magician is doing it. And I'm mm. like, just let it happen, man. Sometimes I do, but then I'm just like, I don't care. Right. I just want to feel this yeah. again. Yeah, that's great. That's your. That's a great audience uh, mentality. I'll tell you, want to hear my kind of theory about why I, I mentioned this in my show, but my kind of philosophical reason why I love magic? Tell me. I think that we as human beings are very quick to uh, make strong judgments and choices and declarations on things we think we know in this world, whether it comes to um, our friends or politically or religiously or internationally or take your pick, anything in this world, we're pretty, we get very adamant about what we think the right choice is. And it's these things we have no evidence for at all. And magic is something that happens right before your very eyes with your five senses and you're wrong. Mm. And if you're wrong about something right here in front of you, 
what makes you think you're right about any of this other stuff that you make these huge declarations of over and over again in your life? And it's a very humbling thing for me when I see it. I go, oh, right. My brain is so fractured and wrong the way it like can be tricked and deceived. And I, I don't view that as a negative thing. I view it as a positive thing. Just it's a, I like remembering that I don't know much and I want to sort of enter my into the world and enter into opinions that I have with the rest of the world with that humility. And magic reminds me to do that every time I see it. So that's sort of why I like uh, magic. I love that reason for yeah. liking magic. Yeah, I think this is anyone that is in LA or maybe New York, definitely you should see Brian's show because that's only a glimpse of kind of like everything you touch on cerebrally. And I think it's, yeah. it's such a treat because it doesn't you. happen a lot. Yeah, what, touching on this stuff? Yeah, in, in art and performance and theater, right, I think, right. I mean, at least with comedy. Right. Because comedians, I mean, definitely are touching on on philosophical beliefs kind of in their own way, but, I mean, a lot of it is, like, d- dating and travel and stuff, right, like right. typical stuff. But even the people, even the comedians that go a little bit deeper, they're not going the direction you're going in the yeah, mind. I go fucking crazy hard. It's cool. it's, it's really the kind of the, when we first started talking, it was like, I think it's to this day, one of our biggest similarities. Like we kind of get very, very cerebral in a very similar way, very mm-hmm. quick with our art, which is, a, you know, and it's funny because, you know, when you started, we started with dance and it's not known as something that is necessarily a cerebral thing. Most people don't view it as that, but you approach it so cerebrally, yeah. which is like. And I think I even just like looking at your moves, I was like, oh, there's something the way like I, I remember like showing videos of your dancing to my friends because I've always was like Megan's like the like the trained version of me dancing is what I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Like, but they're like the way play. you moved. I was like, I get how your brain works. I don't know what I can't even articulate that. But yeah. it's like I just saw it in the way you like somehow like took music and moved it through your body. I was like, there's something cerebral happening here that I just like connect to in some way. Um. Our dancing is similar. <laughs> it is, unfortunately. <laughs> For who? For me, because then when we perform on stage together, I watch a video. I'm like, oh, it's so good. But oh Megan is so good. And I'm like, quote unquote, similar. But I'm just like this lanky, untrained version next to you. Oh, my God. No, it's great. I love dancing with you. <laughs> I do. Here's the next question. How does one not lose their sense of inner child? Well, that's a big question. Yeah, I think you do a good job at this. And I don't. I think I could do a better job because I think that you have a specific, it's hard to tell like what it is, but like a a specific, I guess, element or, or piece of you that a lot of adults don't have. Like you're Mm. able to continue to have magic in your life being a full grown adult, like that is successful and has a respectable career, but you're still able to kind of daydream into these these like separate parts, these little pockets of reality where right, right. where life and fun is. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, I think my answer to it, and I don't really know if this is the answer. By the way, there's a tiny dog on me, and I love it. <laughs> I want to do every podcast with Francisco on me. He keeps sneezing on my uh, hoodie, though. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of it is one who you choose to surround yourself with and what you choose to surround yourself with. I don't think we necessarily lose our inner child. I think what happens is the constructs of adult life overtake it. And you can, it's like, I I think it's always there, but when you start following um, 
sort of the routine and regulation and rules set up to make adult life run smoothly and you really, really, I guess, buy into it or uh, become a follower of that, you can lose kind of the way of thinking that you had as a child that you really always have. But I think it's like not as much like learning how to get it back. It's learning how to like take off the stuff that's put on you that – the strictures of like adult life. And I, it's funny because I say that, and even as I say it, I'm like, well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing to always have your inner child raging because you need to be like a responsible adult sometimes. You need to have that balance like for sure. And sometimes I think I'm out of balance a little bit, but I'm a little bit too, my inner child like full of wonder, like let's be kids forever kind of mentality is sometimes not super healthy for me. Um, so I'm trying to find balance going the other direction. But I, yeah, I think balance is the whole thing for sure. But I think that I feel like if you can be a functioning adult with all these constructs and almost like going, yes, I'm following the rules. But right, then right. every now and then turn inside and ask your inner child, which is always right. like you said with us and go like, what do you want to do about this? Right. Or like, what do you want to do today? Or how do you want to deal with this? Or what do you just, what do you want right. out of life? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you have the ability to, I mean, just think about what you did when you were a kid versus I feel a lot of people are adults now and they're like, I just don't like, ah, what, look at those kids having recess. They just gonna, went out and play. I wish I could go out and play. And it's like, you can, you can do whatever right. you want. You can go. I think like me getting on stage all the time, uh, doing improv, playing music, all those things that are just sort of like sensual things that are like the whole point of them is to kind of daydream and to get lost in the play of it, it, it keeps it alive. And if the the more you just forget to do that stuff, it's almost like uh, that it atrophies. It's like that, that muscle sort of starts withering away. Find places in your life to play. And maybe that's a sport for you. Maybe that's board games. Maybe that is theater. Maybe that is music, but you know what play is to you. You know Mm -hmm. intrinsically when it's happening. And I think if you find time to just maintain that and keep doing it, the child in you should come alive, I I, I would think. Absolutely. I think finding hobbies that definitely are in line with that, but also, like you said earlier, the people around you. I know that I don't feel safe playing around specific people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are, it's huge. I also think um, a lot of... uh, the most childlike, playful people I know, this is interesting, have done so much work to get the stress. Because I think stress, when you have stress, like the adult stress on you, you can't be playful. You just become so inward and you're resentful and you have so much shit that it's just hard to become playful because you have so much of the weight of life on you. When you're a child, that weight is just sort of gone. And when you become an adult, you don't want that weight there, but you have to do a lot of work to keep it off. When you're younger, you just it sort of just isn't there. As an adult, unfortunately, it's going to start piling up and you kind of just got to move it off. We have a friend named Janice who I think has such a great inner child to her. Mm-hmm. I think she is she's taught me so much about that lifestyle. And I also think she's one of the most mature people I've ever met because she has done the work to like clean up her life, get the right people in it, have the right like mindset. And because of that, she has so many stressors that are just that I and so many of my friends don't have. And because those are off, her ability to play is just like, she's, she has the ability, it's just there. Like it's a fertile ground for, for playfulness. Yeah. It, taking it a, into a practical step for people that want to increase their playfulness or uncover it, but have so much stress, like how do you get rid of that stress in order to 
to revive that inner child? I think, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. Um, you know, obviously seeing a therapist is huge for a lot of people. Obviously some people can't, aren't in a place where they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think meditation is huge. I think though, having conversations with friends that you are sitting on and not having, you know how much I feel about mm-hmm. this, is so important. Like that to me, and I may be speaking from a personal perspective, but like that's been my journey this past year is like, if you really like, imagine like listener that you made a list of all the people you consider close to in your life. Imagine going one by one and like, imagine saying to a person, hey, we need to talk about what's going on between us, right? Does that scare you to like look at that name and imagine saying it to that person? If that like kind of goes, makes you go like, oh my God, I can't imagine like approaching that subject with them. That probably means you have to have that conversation with Mm. them. If it doesn't scare you at all, it probably means you guys are fine. That's the irony of it is like the people that you would be totally fine having that conversation with are the ones you probably don't need to have it with. But the people who it's like, oh God, that would be so fucking crazy if I was like, hey, we need to probably talk about what's going on between us. That's the person that you probably need to absolutely have that conversation with. And I have that with a lot of people in my life. And I think since we are, you know, creatures of, uh, who, who just basically thrive and live off other people and connection, that's sort of the most important thing in our life. And if that is stressing you out, you got to clear that, like, that's the most important thing. And that may mean clearing people literally out of your life abruptly. It may mean a slow process of like, uh, fixing a friendship. It, uh, you, you never know until you have that conversation. But I think that's a, a first step you can take literal action towards is like having the conversations with people that are stressing you out for whatever reason they're stressing you out. But you know who it is. You you, you know exactly who the people are mm-hmm. that make you furious, resentful, or angry, or there's something you can't even like put your finger on. But it's like, it's there. Those people are probably putting more stress in your life and maybe you them than either of you need. And just having that conversation starts the process of unraveling it. What if that person that people might be thinking of won't receive a talk well? That's a, so that's the thing. Everyone takes those talks differently. And I think if you know they're not going to receive it, I mean, sometimes I've been trapped in this where I'm like, oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And then I do it and it's great. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it is bad. And then you have to reevaluate what if maybe this person shouldn't be in my life at all. And maybe then it's like, you know, we've, we've tried the conversation, doesn't work. You know, some people are in very abusive relationships with people where you, you know, or they're in relationships with addicts. Maybe it's in their family. Maybe it's their loved ones. I don't know. But like those sometimes it's like, you just have to detach. Like every relationship is different. And, um, and that's a little bit harder because then it's like you can't really work it out with them. You have to kind of move on from them and work with somebody else to get rid of your shit that you have with them. So it's uh, it's hard. You kind of have to – it's nice to have like a really, really close friend you trust where you can be like, hey, I can't really figure out how to handle this with this person. What do you think? Like mm-hmm. those people in your life are key. Absolutely. We have time. I know. I'm just yabbing, yabbing, yab on, don't no. I? No. <laughs> Did I make that up? Yab and yab and yab. I think Fred Flintstone did. Yeah, yab and yab and do is what he says. I want to. We have one time for one more question, and I don't know what the answer is. So maybe we can figure this out together or okay. in our experience. The last question is how to keep the magic in a relationship, and this can be romantic friendship, 
work. It could be anything. I mean, yes. I think the yes. the law of diminishing return, the more we have something, the less magic it yeah, holds. Yeah, yeah. But how, okay. in your experience, have how have you been able to keep the magic alive? So I'm not a great person to ask about this because I have not had many long relationships. But friendships too. I've had tons of really long friendships. That I've, I've definitely, I think it might be a different answer for both. You should read Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity. I'm reading it now. It's so good. And then she her second book, State of Affairs, is also great. But her whole, the whole book of Mating in Captivity mm. is how to keep the uh, erotic life alive in a long relationship. That's her whole thing. And uh, her kind of like the too long didn't read version of it is like uh, intimacy and eroticism kind of can't live together. They're kind of two different things. And her whole thing is like when you become erotically attracted to someone, they're an other and you're bringing this other into your life, right? And then they get so close to you that they become intimate and they become kind of, you become one, you become a thing. And then all of a sudden it's not erotic anymore. Because the idea is like when you fuck someone, you're like fucking an other and you're bringing them into you and you guys are creating one thing. You can't fuck yourself. Like, you know, you can't. You can. You can. Apparently I do in my bed, (laughs) according to you all the time. But the idea is like, okay, so how do you like create that? You have to almost like create distance. Like the magic alive is, you know, that the whole thing is like those two can't live together and it's not something to be solved. It's a paradox to be managed. That's her whole thing, which I think is so cool. So it's like, you know, sexually, obviously that means one thing. Friendship, it means, I think, it, I think honestly, to keep the magic alive in a relationship, you got to give it space. You need a little bit of mystery. Yeah. I, I read somewhere that you should have two separate bathrooms even. I think that's cool. Because that's very intimate, but keeping those separate, she, Esther Prowl, even she mentioned something in her book that she said, um, if you know everything, there's nothing to find out. Mm -hmm. And so just having a little bit of distance, a little bit of mystery should keep that alive. There's something that she said that I was like, this is my family dynamic. She was saying that people confuse interrogation with like knowledge. They're like, you can ask a million questions and be up to the minute details on each other's lives, but you haven't had a meaningful conversation in years. Holy shit. And it's different. Yeah, Yeah, it's very different. Ask a bunch of questions just to kind of like get surveillance on it's somebody. It's so true. You know, it's like when you meet someone in your life that you get really close to, whether it's a friend or romantic, you'll have like one night of talking to them and you'll feel like, oh my God, I gained so much knowledge about who they were and how they work. And you'll be like, but this person I'm around every day, all day, and I know nothing about them, even though we talk about the things we do and mm-hmm. all the, and you're right, like when you just make a checklist of what your life is, it's, you know, it's inter- interrogative, but it's not the knowledge of like, who they are, right. all that stuff. Information but, is but not yeah, knowledge. But yeah, I think I think distance is like, and I think that's I've I've avoided relationships my whole life. For part of me is like I love my personal space. I love the idea of me going off. I like traveling. I like doing my own shows, and I need time by myself to whether it's perform or sing or whatever. It's just like I need my own space, and then I like coming to you know being with people too. And I was like, but I can't do that in a relationship. You're supposed to always be together all the time. And what I'm learning is, oh no, that's a great thing. I'm. I feel like that's a. I, I mean, I guess if both people are on the same page, it's a great thing. But it's yes. like I'm learning. Like, oh, that's a totally fine and respectable way to have a relationship. But yes, uh, I think the general answer for keeping the magic alive is creating space for each person to be themselves. Because if one person feels smothered by the other, it's going to be bad. That's always a recipe for disaster. And to uh, letting them. Uh, keeping some mystery there, letting, uh, 
them surprise you or, or finding ways to surprise each other, um, whatever that means to you. I think so, too. I think we've done a great job here, Brian. I'm kind of exhausted. <laughs> we've talked about we so went, much. We went different places, so that is good. We did. We told that story, which no one's ever heard We've before. talked about telling the story for years. Yeah. I've, you tell the story, or I ask you to tell a story when we're in groups of friends, and I let you tell it alone because I get stage fright. <laughs> I know. But now that I've told it once, I was like, okay, I think I have my own grasp on it. Because I, I do think both sides are so just ridiculous. It's so funny. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Where can people find you on the internet, and when? where is your show? When? What's going on? Uh, BJ McElhaney is my handle on the platforms, um, which is a complicated thing to spell. Um, <laughs> my last name, I wish it was Batoon. <laughs> uh, and I have a show called Brian McElhaney Might Explode that's coming back to UCB Franklin in LA in February and March. And then, I don't know, New York. And then, I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen with it. Uh, cool. But uh, yeah, and then I'm just doing a bunch of, you know, Britannic stuff. And I don't know. I don't know where my life's going to lead me next month even. That's so cool. Same. Yeah, I know. We're wanderers. Can I, I'm never usually a wanderer, but this year I'm wandering. You're going through your spiritual journey. I really am. Every time I see you, you're like, you're really, you're confronting you. Absolutely. And I feel really good about it. Good. Good. You should. <laughs> just that. Just good. I, I mean, good. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm sorry. I got lost in my own head because I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I just feel like the journey is you feel really good. And then all of a sudden you're lost again. You yeah. Feel really I mean, good. that's life. But if right? you're in a moment of good, stay in that moment, you know. <laughs> it's the that one song. If you're going through hell, keep on going. Oh, cool. I like that. <laughs> what song is that? It's a country song. It, it says, sounds like a country song. Uh, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't stop now. I don't the, Something about the devil. Um, the, <laughs> you might get out before the devil even knows you're there. Oh yeah, it's nice. Next time I'm on this podcast, you're it. going to sing that song because you're going to practice. Yeah, right. Because you're not tone deaf. I wonder if I sing with a country accent, then I'll like sound better. I don't. I really think you are putting these limitations on yourself. Rodney Atkins, check this out. Changing the subject. Uh, yeah, Rodney Atkins. Oh no, I got to go straight to the chorus. We'll see how good I can do. What do you think? Course is probably like 25 seconds in. Says I don't mind if you kick me. Seems like everybody has. Things go from bad to worse. You think they can't get worse than that, and then they do. Here it comes. They do. Oh, hang on. I don't. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Are you sure? Yes. You're choreographing it. I'm miming it. That's um, cute, right? Uh, that's yeah, it's really cute. That's great. I love that. <laughs> I do. Sounds like someone who doesn't I love, love it. it. I thought it was great. <laughs> We've had enough here, Brian. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I respect you. I respect you too. I think you're wonderful. I think you're wonderful. Can you say the next one? Um, and I think you're talented. Thank you. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> 
potato back. Well, I am. I think you have shown moments of. Ten- I think you're like the most talented person in the world, and it's going to kill you one day. Oh my God! If you listening have a sticky situation or burning concern, call us at eight oh five seven five one nine oh seven one. You give us your age, and we will give you what we can. See you next week on Just a Tip. Bye, guys. Bye. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>